Chapter One of Let 'Em Breathe Space. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenevere in the Bayous of Louisiana. The story was first published in Space Science Fiction, July, nineteen fifty-three. Let Em Breathe Space by Lester Del Rey, Chapter One. Eighteen men and two women in the closed world of a spaceship for five months can only spell tension and trouble. But in this case, the atmosphere was literally poisoned. Five months out from Earth, we were halfway to Saturn and three quarters of the way to murder. At least I was. I was sick of the feuding, the worries, and the pettiness of the other nineteen aboard. My stomach heaved at the bad food, the eternal smell of people, and the constant sound of nagging and complaints. For ten lead pennies I'd have gotten out into space and tried walking back to Earth. Sometimes I thought of doing it without the pennies. But I knew I wasn't that tough, in spite of what I looked. I'd been built to play fullback, and my questionable brunette beauty had been roughed up by the explosion years before as thoroughly as dock fighting on all the planets could have done. But sometimes I figured all that meant was that there was more of me to hurt, and that I'd had more experience screaming when the anodyne ran out. Anyhow, whole wheat pancakes made with sourdough for the ninth morning running was too damned much. I felt my stomach heave over again, took one whiff of the imitation maple syrup, and shoved the mess back fast while I got up faster. It was a mistake. Phil Riggs, our scrawny half-pint meteorologist, grinned nastily and reached for the plate. Smatter, Paul, don't you like your breakfast? It's, it's good for you. Whole wheat contains bran, the staff of life. Man, after that diet of bleached paste. There's one guy like that in every bunch. The cook was mad at us for griping about his coffee, so our group of scientists on this cockeyed Saturn expedition were getting whole wheat flour as punishment, while Captain Mueller probably sat in his cabin chuckling about it. In our agreement, there was a clause that we could go over Mueller's head on such things with a unanimous petition but Riggs had spiked that. The idiot liked Bran in his flour, even for pancakes. Or else he was putting on a good act for the fun of watching the rest of us suffer. You can take your damned whole wheat and stuff it. I started. Then I shrugged and dropped it. There were enough feuds going on aboard the cranky old Wahoo. Seen Jenny this morning, Phil? He studied me insolently. She told Doc Napier she had some stuff growing in hydroponics she wanted to look at. You're wasting your time on that babe, boy. Thanks for nothing, I muttered at him, and got out before I really decided on murder. Jenny Sanderson was our expedition biologist. A natural golden blonde, just chin-high on me and cute enough to earn her way through a Ph.D. doing modeling. She had a laugh that would melt a brass statue and which she used too much on Doc Napier, 
on our chief and even on grumpy old Captain Mueller, but sometimes she used it on me when she wanted something. And I never did have much use for a girl who was the strong, independent type where there was a man to do the dirty work, so that was okay. I suppose it was natural. With only two women among eighteen men for months and months, but right then I probably liked Doc Napier less than the captain, even. I pulled myself away from the corridor to hydroponics, started for observation, and then went on into the cubbyhole they gave me for a cabin. On the Wahoo, all a man could do was sleep or sit around and think about murder. Well, I had nobody to blame but myself. I'd asked for the job when I first heard Dr. Pietro had collected funds and priorities for a trip to study Saturn's rings at close hand. And because I'd done some technical work for him on the moon, he figured he might as well take me as any other good all-round mechanic and technician. He hadn't asked me, though. That had been my own stupid idea. Paul Tremaine, self-cure expert. <laughs> I'd picked up a nice phobia against space when the superliner Lorelei Elu cracked up with 400 passengers on my first watch as second engineer. I'd gotten free and into a suit, but after they rescued me, it had taken two years on the moon before I could get up nerve for the shuttle back to Earth. And after eight years home, I should have let well enough alone. If I'd known anything about Pietro's expedition... I'd have wrapped myself in my phobia and loved it. But I didn't know then that he'd done well with priorities and only fair with funds. The best he could afford was the rental of the old Earth-Mars-Venus Triangle Freighter. Naturally, when the Wahoo's crew heard they were slated for what would be at least three years off Earth without fancy bonus rates, they quit. Since nobody else would sign on, Pietro had used his priorities to get an injunction that forced them back aboard. He'd stuffed extra oxygen, water, food, and fertilizer on top of her regular supplies, then filled her holes with some top-level fuel he'd gotten from a government assist, and set out. And by the time I found out about it, my own contract was iron-bound, and I was stuck. As an astrophysicist, Pietro was probably tops. As a man to run the lunar observatory, he was a fine executive. But as a man to head up an expedition into deep space, somebody should have given him back his teething ring. Not that the Wahoo couldn't make the trip with the new fuel. She'd been one of the early survey ships before they turned her into a freighter. But she was meant for a crew of maybe six on trips of a couple of months. There were no game rooms, no lounges, no bar or library. Nothing but what had to be. The only thing left for most of us aboard was to develop our hatreds of the petty faults of the others. Even with a homogeneous and willing crew, it was a perfect setup for cabin fever, and we were as heterogeneous as they come. Naturally, the crew hated the science boys, after being impressed into duty, but also took it out on the officers. The officers felt the same about both other groups. And the scientists hated the officers and crew for all the inconveniences of the old Wahoo. Me? I was in no man's land, technically in the science group, 
but without a pure science degree. I had an officer's feeling left over from graduating as an engineer on the ships, and I looked like a crewman. It cured my phobia, all right. After the first month out, I was too disgusted to go into a fear funk. But I found out it didn't help a bit to like space again, and no, I'd stay washed up as a spaceman. We'd been jinxed from the start. Two months out, the whole crew of scientists came down with something Doc Napier finally diagnosed as food poisoning. Maybe he was right, since our group ate in our own mess hall, and the crew and officers who didn't eat with us didn't get it. Our astronomer, Bill Sanderson, almost died. I'd been lucky, but then I never did react to things much. There were a lot of other small troubles, but the next major trick had been fumes from the nuclear generators getting up into our quarters. It was always our group that had the trouble. If Eve Nolan hadn't been puttering with some of her trick film at the time, she and Walt Harris had the so-called night shift, and seen them blacken, we'd have been dead before they discovered it. And it took us two weeks of bunking with the sullen crew and decontamination before we could pick up life again. Engineer Wilcox had been decent about helping with it, blaming himself. But it had been a mess. Naturally, there were dark hints that someone was trying to get us. But I couldn't see any crewmen wiping us out just to return to Earth, where our contract, with its completion clause, would mean he wouldn't have a dime coming to him. Anyhow, the way things were going, we'd all go berserk before we reached Saturn. The lunch gong sounded, but I let it ring. Bullard would be serving us whole wheat biscuits and soup made out of beans he'd let soak until they turned sour. I couldn't take any more of that junk, the way I felt then. I heard some of the men going down the corridor, followed by a confused grumble of voices. Then somebody let out a yell. Hey, Rube! That meant something. The old yell spacemen had picked up from corny people to rally their kind around against the foe. And I had a good idea who was the foe. I heard the yell bounce down the passage again and the slam of answering feet. Then the gravity field went off, or rather was cut off. We may have missed the boat in getting anti-gravity, if there is such a thing, but our artificial gravity is darn near foolproof. It was ten years since I moved in freefall, but Space Tech had done a good job of training good habits. I got out of my bunk, hit the corridor with a handout, bounced, kicked, and dove toward the mess hall without a falter. The crewmen weren't doing so well, but they were coming up the corridor fast enough. I could have wrung Mueller's neck. Normally, in case of trouble, cutting gravity is smart. But not here, where the crew already wanted a chance to commit mayhem and had more experience than the scientists. Yet, surprisingly, when I hit the mess hall ten feet ahead of the deckhands, most of the scientists were doing all right. Hell, I should have known Pietro, Sanderson, and a couple others would be used to no gravity. In astronomical work, you cut your eye teeth on that. They were braced around the cook, who huddled back in a corner, 
while our purser steward sam was still singing for help the fat face of the cook was dead white bill sanderson looking like a slim blonde ballet dancer and muscle like an apache expert had him in one hand and was stuffing the latest batch of whole wheat biscuits down his throat bill's sister jenny was giggling excitedly and holding more biscuits the deckhands and grundy the mate were almost at the door and i had just time enough to slam it shut and lock it in their faces i meant to enjoy seeing the cook taken down without any interruption sam let out a final yell and bullard broke free making a mess of it without weight he was sputtering on bits of the biscuit hal lomax reached out a big hand stained with the chemicals that had been his life's work and pushed the cook back and suddenly fat little bullard switched from quaking fear to a blind rage the last of the biscuits sailed from his mouth and he spat at hal you damn highfalutin black devil you you sneering at my cooking i'm a white man i am i don't have to work for no black ni i reached him first even though sam started for him then you can deliver a good blow in free fall if you know how his teeth against my knuckles stopped my leap and the back of his head bounced off the wall he was unconscious as he drifted by us moving upward my knuckles stung but it had been worth it anyhow jenny's look more than paid for the trouble the door shattered then and the big hulk of mate grundy tumbled in with the two duck hands and the pair from the engine room behind him sam let out a yell that sounded like a protest and they headed for us just as gravity came on i pulled myself off the floor and out from under bullard to see the stout oldish figure of captain muller standing in the doorway with engineer wilcox slouched easily beside him looking like the typical natty space officer you see on television both held gas guns all right break it up muller ordered you men get back to your work and you dr pietro my contract calls for me to deliver you to saturn's moon but it doesn't forbid me to haul you the rest of the way in irons i won't have this aboard my ship pietro nodded his little gray goatee bobbing his lean body coming upright smoothly quite right captain nor does it forbid me to let you and your men spend the sixteen months on the moon where i command in irons why don't you ask sam what happened before you make a complete fool of yourself captain muller sam gulped and looked at the crew but apparently pietro was right the little guy had been completely disgusted by bullard he shrugged apologetically bullard insulted dr lomax sir I yelled for someone to help me get him out of here, and I guess everybody got mixed up when gravity went off and Bullard cracked his head on the floor. Just a misunderstanding, sir. Mueller stood there, glowering at the cut on my knuckles, and I could feel him aching for a good excuse to make his threat a reality. But finally he grunted and swung on his heel, ordering the crew with him. Grundy threw us a final grimace and skulked off behind him. Finally, there was only Wilcox, who grinned, shrugged, and shut the door quietly behind him. 
and we were left with the mess Freefall had made of the place. I spotted Jenny heading across the room, carefully not seeing the fatuous glances Pietro was throwing her way, and I swung in behind. She nodded back at me, but headed straight for Lomax, with an odd look on her face. When she reached him, her voice was low and businesslike. Hal, what did those samples of Hendrix's show up? Hendrix was the farmer in charge of the hydroponics that turned the carbon dioxide we breathed out back to oxygen, and also gave us a bit of fresh vegetables now and then. Technically, he was a crewman, just as I was a scientist, but actually he felt more like one of us. Lomax looked surprised. What samples, Jenny? I haven't seen Hendrix for two weeks. You... She stopped, bit her lip, and frowned. She swung on me. Paul, have you seen him? I shook my head. Not since last night. He was asking Eve and Walt to wake him up early then. That's funny. He was worried about the plants yesterday and wanted Hal to test the water and chemical fertilizer. I looked for him this morning, and when he didn't show up, I thought he was with you, Hal. And the plants are dying. All of them? The half-smile wiped off Hal's face, and I could feel my stomach hit my insteps. When anything happens to the plants in a ship, it isn't funny. She shook her head. No, about a quarter of them. I was coming for help when the fight started. They're all bleached out, and it looks like, like, chromosome. That really hit me. They developed the stuff to fight off fungus on Venus, where one part in a billion did the trick. But it was tricky stuff. One part in ten million would destroy the chlorophyll in plants in about twenty hours, or the hemoglobin in blood in about fifteen minutes. It was practically a universal poison. He started for the door, then stopped. He glanced around the room, turned back to me, and suddenly let out a healthy bellow of seeming amusement. Jenny's laugh was right in harmony. I caught the drift and tried to look as if we were up to some monkey business as we slipped out of the room. Nobody seemed suspicious. Then we made a dash for hydroponics toward the rear of the ship. We scrambled into the big chamber together and stopped. Everything looked normal among the rows of plant-filled tanks, pipes, and equipment. Jenny led us down one of the rows and around a bin. The plants in the rear quarter weren't sick. They were dead. They were bleached to a pale yellow, like boiled grass, and limp. Nothing would save them now. I'm a biologist, not a botanist, Jenny began. Hal grunted sickly. Yeah, and I'm not a life hormone expert, but there's one test we can try. He picked up a pair of rubber gloves from a rack and pulled off some wilting stalks. From one of the healthy tanks he took green leaves. He mashed the two kinds together on the edge of a bench and watched. If it's chromosome, they've developed an enzyme by now that should eat the color out of those others. In about ten seconds, I noticed the change. The green began to bleach before my eyes. 
Jenny made a sick sound in her throat and stared at the rows of healthy plants. I checked the valves, and this sick section is isolated. But if chromosome got into the chemicals... Better get your spectroanalyzer out, Hal, while I get Captain Mueller. Paul, be a dear and find Hendricks, will you? I shook my head and went further down the rows. No need, Jenny, I called back. I pointed to the shoe I'd seen sticking out from the edge of one of the tanks. There was a leg attached. I reached for it, but Lomax shoved me back. Don't. The enzymes in the corpse are worse than the poison, Paul. Hands off. He reached down with the gloves and heaved. It was Hendrix, all right. A corpse with a face and hands as white as human flesh could ever get. Even the lips were bleached out. Jenny moaned. The fool! The stupid fool! He knew it was dangerous without gloves. He suspected Chromosome, even though none's supposed to be on board. And I warned him. Not against this, you didn't, I told her. I dropped to my knees and took another pair of gloves. Hendrick's head rolled under my grasp. The skull was smashed over the left eye, as if someone had taken a sideswipe at Hendrix with a hammer. No fall had produced that. You should have warned him about his friends. Must have been killed, then dumped in here. Murder! Hal bit the word out in disgust. You're right, Paul. Not too stupid a way to dispose of the body, either. In another couple of hours, he'd have started dissolving in that stuff, and we'd never have guessed it was murder. That meant this poisoning of the plants wasn't an accident. Somebody poisoned the water, then got worried when there wasn't a report on the plants. Must have been someone who thought it worked faster on plants than it does. So he came to investigate, and Hendricks caught him fooling around, so he got killed. But... Who? Jenny asked. I shrugged sickly. Somebody crazy enough or desperate enough to turn back that he'll risk our air and commit murder. You'd better go after the captain while Hal gets his test equipment. I'll keep watch here. It didn't feel good in hydroponics after they left. I looked at those dead plants, trying to figure whether there were enough left to keep us going. I studied Hendrix's body trying to tell myself the murderer had no reason to come back and try to get me. I reached for a cigarette and then put the pack back. The air felt almost as close as the back of my neck felt tense and unprotected. And telling myself it was all imagination didn't help, not with what was in that chamber to keep me company. End of chapter 1